The brothers wish. The brothers wish, brothers wish. The brothers wish. The brothers. You're now listening to Greg. It's the Brothers Wisp. Hey everybody, this is Greg of the Brothers Wisp, number 159, almost to that 160 mark. Here we are in uh, late April. The weather's turning beautiful. I was just in Colorado and the weather was not beautiful. It was icy and disgusting. And people kept telling me, go to Red Rocks, go to Red Rocks, check it out. We went up there and it was like snowing and like 40 mile an hour men and it was miserable. And uh, so now from now on, the rest of my life, when people... <laughs> Like, get me to go to something uh, ridiculous. I'll just say, go to Red Rocks. Just go to Red. It'll be great. Yeah. Anyway, I digress. Today we have uh, Colin, and let me see if I remember it right, Zapalak? Yes, sir. Excellent. And then uh, where are you from these days? Uh, DFW area. <laughs> Still. South Texas. Yeah. Well, we're, we're looking at moving right now, and we're just moving about 40 miles north, so... <laughs> still going to be in that area and my job's here so my wife's job's here so rock and roll man hey we also have a return face zach biles can't get rid of him he's like herpes just when you think he's gone pops right back up hey good morning <laughs> it's not every day you get compared to an std is it yeah that was a little rough <laughs> i can take it completely out of love completely out of love all right well, Zach, I forget already. Where are you from again? Uh, Northern Minnesota. Minnesota. That's right. Yeah. You're uh, you're in the the Dane. You're basically Canadian, right? Yeah. I'm like an hour and a half from the border, so. Excellent. Not, not too far. Well, we had uh, half of our team up there yesterday, and yeah, I think it was yesterday. They're probably all flying back today, and uh, I do uh, I do not envy them uh, being up there in the cold enjoying it so by all means you guys keep it i will uh stay down here with my like 80 degree uh weather i'm very much enjoying that anyway i digress today uh again it's another one of those early ones so thank you guys for popping in early i've got uh, a tight schedule today as always it seems like i'm always just moving these days it's ridiculous it's like i actually have to work for a living now and i uh, don't know what to do with myself so Let's get in here and uh, see what's what. We don't have any new patrons. That's patreon.com forward slash the Brothers Wisp to get uh, access to the patron-only Slack and all that good stuff. But we do have our sponsors. So brought to you by Sonar, a scalable, intuitive, and comprehensive ISP billing and operational support system. Learn more over at sonar.software. We also have tower coverage. Tower coverage is your RF propagation system to empower your network. Real-time data metrics enable your coverage area, reaching your customer base and more. The industry's best RF propagation mapping system allows website integration for customer signup and pre-qualification. Use this data to scientifically plan network expansion and help your WISP succeed. Get a free trial today at towercoverage.com. I had somebody uh, holler at me yesterday, day before, one or the other, and uh, they were saying, hey man, uh, a friend of mine is like starting this golf cart manufacturing company. Anyway, they're uh, opening in two weeks and the AT&T circuit won't be ready till October. What should we do? And I was like, okay, let me look on Google and uh, find a local uh, WISP. And there were several that said that they could theoretically service that area. One of them, however, happened to have tower coverage, which was really awesome integration. And I could quickly see is like, yeah, 
they've actually got really good coverage right there. So call these guys first, everybody else second. So uh, it's definitely like it worked in that instance. Those guys are probably going to get uh, get a new customer, even if it's only temporary. But a business customer is one that's going to pay a lot to get that installed quickly. So those are the kinds you want, right? Mm-hmm. Excellent. Well, enough with the anecdotes. You guys ready to jump in to the action, to the main event? Sure. Sure. Why the not? Big ring. Uh, <laughs> somebody put it. So Colin was kind enough to uh, uh, come in here and put in some uh, some additional notes, and he put in <laughs> one that's making me laugh right off the bat. Uh, it says, uh, "Little Brothers uh, Employment Advancement: <laughs> Proof that the group is not static." What could you possibly mean by that, Colin? Well, it seems like a lot of us have been. Uh switching jobs here lately which is a good thing because we've been i guess not necessarily moving laterally we've been going to newer and better things and uh which keeps us uh the fact that we're still here and still doing this is uh showing that hey we we do this because we like to do this and we get on the podcast we get on uh the slack because we enjoy sharing knowledge and asking questions yeah for sure you are right a couple of people have been jumping ship uh, lately <laughs> for other people inside the Slack. I I can think, I think Glenn Kelly ended up working with, uh, uh, Mikey. I think, uh, Tommy C ended up helping out Mikey as well. And then I just recently acquired, uh, Nick Arellano over yeah. at, uh, at the red hats. So yeah, I, I, I just familiar. hopped jobs a couple months ago too. So <laughs> rock and roll, man. We're, 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 it seems we're, we're having fun trying out new things for sure man like it's always uh i don't know i say it's always uh, for most people i think it's usually pretty stressful finding a new job um but the other side of the coin finding new employees is like feels like such a crapshoot so like I, I definitely get it like the idea of like you're in a group with people that you get comfortable with you kind of get a sense of them their personality their work ethic and stuff like that and so it's nice to be able to have like a pool to pluck people from so I definitely get that. Yeah, I will say that for me, this last go around is I got recruited and um, I, I didn't actually meet my, I did the entire interview process remotely and I got my offer and I, the first, you know, it wasn't until after about four hours that I'd been into my first day when I actually met my manager. <laughs> so <laughs> it was, it was kind of interesting. That's cool. Same sort of industry. Um, I went back to the two-way radio industry, actually. I'm, Did you uh, really? Yeah, I'm working for uh, a company called EF Johnson. So they do, uh, they've started in Waseca, Minnesota, and uh, they've been, uh, they're based <laughs> out of uh, Irving, Texas now. But uh, about, what, six years ago, they got, six, eight years ago, they got acquired by JVC Kenwood. So we're a JVC Kenwood is subsidiary and, uh, we we uh, specialize in public safety communications, but I'm on a solutions team that's uh, third-party stuff. So we're doing a lot of uh, Bluetooth uh, indoor location type stuff right now. Really? Like what kind of what kind of facilities are you doing that stuff for? Um, so we've got some plans for some schools for uh, you know just alerting, say, hey, somebody's somewhere where they shouldn't be, or uh, you know, we're, we're, we're looking at a uh, solution that says, uh, you know, basically a panic button, a Bluetooth uh, panic button 
and then we're uh, we're working on a. Uh, I've got a couple of correctional facilities right now involved, and um, that's uh, that's you know. So it's kind of that mix of uh, public safety and education. Um, we're we're trying to get into the industrial um, and warehouse type applications, but uh, you know we're uh, still trying to figure out. Uh, you know, what, what solutions we can offer that are, are the best value for customers. Gotcha. So it's not necessarily just like asset tracking. You're sounds like you're doing a lot of people tracking then. Yeah, we, we can do people tracking, um, asset tracking. We can do, um, uh, tracking equipment. So, you know, you know, one thought was we'll put it on the forklifts and, you know, put tags on the forklifts and you know, in the warehouse where your forklifts are. And it's, uh, Depending on, uh, we have currently offer two tiers. One uses a radio, uh, a uh, LMR backhaul, and the other uses uh, IP, an IP network with uh, Bluetooth readers. And uh, you know the that, the Bluetooth reader network is pretty much live tracking, and uh, it you can the difference between that is tier one requires a, one of our radios, and tier two we can do with almost anyone's track. Uh, Bluetooth beacon tracker thing. So that's cool. Are you guys doing like proprietary software to do kind of a map overlay so you can like see where things are? Or is it just like tell you, hey, it's in this area? Yeah, it's a proprietary software with a map overlay. Uh, I think our typical build resolution is between six and uh, two meters of, re- of accuracy. So we can, based on how many, and it, it's going to depend on how many. Uh, readers we put out there but uh you know so the readers basically essentially just forward uh rssi and uh the mac address of the reader and so then uh we have a server on-prem that does a compute and uh tries to locate based on those numbers and it's it's pretty decent it's uh pretty quick and responsive and it uh seems to be working pretty well we've you know the the two tier two systems we have running right now is one's a correctional facility and the other's a uh uh the other's in our in our headquarters and that it's very interesting watching people walk around the building who we give these tags to and we have some that look actually here's one uh looks like an you know looks like a regular id badge just a little thicker and we give them to them and just say, hey, walk around the building and, and we want to see how how the data updates. And, you know, there are some things we're still working on hiring out. Like sometimes it, sh- it shows you as walking through a wall, especially when you're in hallways. So, you know, just uh, just kind of going on from there. That's cool. Do, so do is you that... guys, uh... Oh, sorry, Greg. No, uh, go for it. Do you guys uh, integrate with like other third party like Bluetooth beaconing systems like a Meraki or other, you know, Cisco, can, can you take their beaconing data or do you have to deploy kind of your own hardware? Um, so in theory, if, as long as we can structure the, the, uh, the data in such a way that uh, we can say, oh yeah, um, we need it, you know, as long as we can restructure the, the payload to be in the format that our uh, locate engine's looking for, we can theoretically do it anyway, but as far as the uh, uh, 
beacons themselves or anything that really supports uh, uh, Eddie Stone or iBeacon, we can we can work with. Okay, interesting. That's cool. Is there a battery in those little tags? I assume not, right? Yes, yes. These have a little battery in them. Um, sorry. These have a little battery in them, and uh, you don't get it because of the background. But uh, uh, three to four years, depending on how what the beacon interval is, and then we have some other uh, long life, we'll call them devices, um, beacons that are a little bit bigger, but because they take uh, regular like thirteen fifty uh, batteries in them, and uh, they'll have a ten year battery life at like beaconing every second and but some of our stuff we can set to beacon you know every 500 milliseconds mm. so that's pretty cool you said tier two what does that mean um it's just different deployment tiers and in our case it's different deployment strategies so our uh our tier one system it's we put the beacons in fixed locations and as you're walking around with a handheld radio it's listening for those beacons and then it says hey I, I hear this beacon and this beacon and it's at forwards that information over the uh, uh, over a, either a 4800 bit per second or a 9600 bit per second uh, uh, RF channel which then ties back into the uh, server and it computes and says okay you're about right here um, our tier 2 system is uh you know, a little different in that you don't need a radio and uh, the beacons are what's moving, not the, uh, not what's listening for the beacons, basically. Gotcha. That's interesting. You, uh, you having fun over there? Yeah, I'm enjoying it. It's, uh, it's a change of pace. I'm not doing all the uh, Wi-Fi and switching that I was doing. I'm still doing some switching, but right now uh, it's, you know, trying to find POE switches that we can, uh, you know put with the product right now because you know poe switches are kind of hard to come by yeah and what you're talking about because i remember you had sort of thrown it in the slack and you have it in the notes here so you might as well transition to it is uh when you say poe switch you're talking about a switch that you can power via poe that can then send out poe right that's uh yeah we're, that's one of the things we're looking at just to uh uh conserve cabling so we can make some uh you know, branches basically off of a single cable run, cause, you know, and then we're talking radio guys. They're great with copper, not so great with fiber. And, <laughs> you know, that, that's, that's my consensus too, is I, I will deal, deal with copper all day long. When you get to fiber, I'm just kind of like, I don't want to deal with it. Um, so yeah, we're, we're, we're looking at some of that and, you know, we've had a big, uh, a big problem because we were, well, First, we, we've been using some unmanaged switches that are capable of that. And in the office, it's turned into a uh, enough people have come and gone through the group now that uh, we, we don't have the most accurate and reliable information of what, uh, what lines go to which switches and what devices are branched off of those switches. You know, if it was managed, I, it'd be a simple, oh, yeah, I can tell you what, what's branching off of there. And since I know where those... Uh, readers are roughly i can i can you know give you a general idea of where the uh, switches are but uh so we're, we're trying to find some other solutions right now and we were i got pointed at a cisco catalyst 2960 
Um, but Cisco end of life that two years ago. Yeah. And so it's, some older guys. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So, and then, you know, it's also trying to fit within a, a reasonable budget. Cause I guess right after they did that, they announced those little square, uh, switches that are like four port POE out switches. I can take POE in, but they're, uh, they're they're a little more than what we want to pay for switchers right now so uh, i was looking at uh the microtix rb 960 just in bridge because we're we're doing this on a flat network at that point once it's out to the uh once it's out to that branch where it's flat so we were looking at that and uh going from there but uh you know i've 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 put in like uh netonic swift switch and uh, a couple of other things, but I'm, I'm still looking for stuff. It's it's a lot more difficult to discover than we thought it would be. Interesting. So are you trying to kind of come up with your uh, standard that you're yeah, just going to follow well, everywhere? Well, the standard and what we recommend, you know, I guess one of the things with uh, EF Johnson is uh, with our, our uh, public safety solutions, our P25 solutions, we say, you know, we, we use standards unlike some of our vendors on the back planes and everything. So you're free to roll your own hard, you know, provide your own hardware. We may not support it, but you're free to do that. You know. <laughs> so uh, buyer, buyer beware. beware. If you roll your own, you don't use our tested solution, then support's only going to be able to go so far with you. Yeah, pretty much. All right. So what are you talking about a 960? Is that the, like the power box thing? Uh, yeah, well, it's the uh, Hex POE and then the Powerbox Pro. Okay, and that's so it, POE in on one port and then you can POE out on two through five? Yes, right. and as long as you're feeding at 48-ish volts, you can do AFAT compliance on the outputs. Oh, very nice. And I'm so. assuming that's what most of your kit uses, AFAT? Uh, yeah, right now everything uses... Uh, AF, yeah, because everything, all the readers are uh, 100 meg devices, which makes sense. They're, you know, very small packets and payloads. So, uh, so uh, yeah, um, and I think they draw about, I think the most we've seen them draw is about three watts. So, you know, pretty, pretty low uh, power consumptions. But if we can put, you know, four behind, we can do some, you know, one, one, AT port can power all the devices behind it, basically. Very nice. And so that, uh, I mean, yeah, what the hex POE has like, um, SFP cage it as does. well. So you could yeah, do so a little bit of funky stuff if you needed to. Yeah. We could do, uh, for those really long runs, we could do fiber if we wanted to. Very cool. So it sounds like decent flexibility. And those things are what, like 80 bucks. Yeah. Something like that. We're, uh, we're, uh, looking into right now uh making some agreements with uh and vendors when you know the master distributors to to for uh to for preferred pricing we'll say i got you <laughs> very cool well even at 80 bucks that's not too bad no no they're and so what 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 led this was you know due to chip shortages the salute the unmanned solution we were using went from 60 dollars to 120 dollars yeah so we're, uh, you know, so something in between that, that has the benefit of being capable of being managed is a great, uh, compromise basically. Yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, in my mind, even if it's got an IP address that you can ping and say, yeah, it's still alive, uh, that can go a long way, right? Like, did, mm -hmm. did it completely die? Did power get pulled from it? You know, I, I see this thing offline, so obviously that reader or whatever that thing is out at the end is, is going to be down. So that mm -hmm. goes a really long way, for sure. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And that's kind of what we're, you know, the long term is, you know, having the ability to easily manage and diagnose problems. That's cool. Well, it sounds like a lot of uh, USW flex, uh, but you said easy to manage. So mm -hmm. <laughs> you got to put in unify <laughs> that probably uh, excludes that one. Yeah. I'm trying, I'm trying to, uh, it, you know, if they made an edge switch that was, uh, you know, in that form factor and did, uh, could do POE plus, I, I would say, yeah, let's, let's look at that. But I, I don't, I don't know where ubiquity stands with the edge switch line at the moment. I don't think it, I don't think ubiquity does. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I'm a little tough on them. Uh, I'm, 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 I've been tough on them for about ten years now. So that's all good. Well, while you're talking about ubiquity, I had something in here that was ubiquity related. I saw they put out their ubiquity identity management system, or UID for short. Secure your organization simply. So. This is uh, another big push into the enterprise, and um, this kind of bleeds into my world a little bit these days because uh, I'm doing more of this sort of stuff. Uh, identity management, because uh, it seems like they're trying to straddle a lot of areas like the single sign-on, right? So that uh, you'll have one place for authentication and then all of these various services you use can kind of tie into that, right? So all of your various systems, it sounds like they're trying to do integration with like Google, Active Directory, LDAP authentication, stuff like that for kind of the back end. but they're rolling it into lots of things, right? So they have their UID access, which is their access control solution. So theoretically it would tie in with that, right? So all of your users uh, would be able to authenticate on your access control, like egress and ingress in your buildings. Uh, and then uh, they have a VPN client, apparently, that they're running that connects to the Dream Machines only right now. Uh, and so you would be able to have kind of universal authentication on your VPN. So even if you're a remote worker and you're away from the office, you'll be able to do that. And then it looks like they're tying into the uh, Unify system for like Wi-Fi access. So I'm not sure exactly what that looks like, like if that's you connect to like a hotspot portal and it authenticates you in there. Like I, I'm not, I'm unsure. Like they don't have a lot of documentation on how that process actually works, but yeah, it looks like you really have to have the dream machine pro or special edition to make this thing work. looks like it's got some tie in on the uni ID. So their access control system, sort of some integration with a video recorder, I guess like they have like a, a little version of uh, an access control piece that's got a camera in it. Like that's kind of also a reader and I guess it kind of ties in with that. They have a free plan up to 50 users, one site, three doors, which would be a very small office. Um, you think in 50 users, cause that's also going to be a single sign on or VPN authentication for users that are not going to be at the office. So I guess, I mean, that's a thing, you know, it's got some stuff in there, but then they uh, bump up to a standard plan, which is $4 per user per month if you bill annually and that's up to a thousand users so that gets a little bit spicier for single sign-on i think that stuff like if you're going with okta or whatever um which 
you know, the very first thing anybody's going to say is, well, why would I trust my security stuff with uh, Ubiquity when they've already had problems? But there's like one of the major single sign-on authentication people, Okta, just had a breach not too long ago, right? So it's like nobody's perfect. Some people that focus specifically on the security industry probably are going to be a little bit better at this than, say, a Ubiquity. So I'm not, I'm not, you know, say anything one way or the other. Um, but I bet on like Okta, you probably get it cheaper than four bucks per user per month. Like when you start really looking at volumes and stuff like that. Um, but you don't get the single sign on until you start paying. So that's when you actually get like LDAP integration as well as identity provider via like G Suite or Office 365 stuff. So you really got to pay to play if you want to get some of the, the, the real enterprise features. Then they have a pro plan and enterprise plan that uh, don't exist yet. So you never know what will end up happening with that. It's interesting though, to see them stretching into that space. And I'm just gonna casually put it out there. Is this a solution you guys would feel comfortable uh, using Ubiquity for? I, I think my bigger concern over the security piece, cause it, you know, anybody can be breached, right? I mean, it, it only takes one one bad subcontractor doing something that they shouldn't be doing or whatever, mm -hmm. you know, it's like you can have all the layers. Sometimes things happen out of your control. I think the bigger piece to me would be what's the life cycle on this thing. You know, we've seen ubiquity kill a lot of products just kind of out of the blue. Um, and if you're going to go all in with, with a solution like this and the, you know, dream machine and all the limitations that those have for, you know, like not being able to set, uh, you know, multiple IPs on a WAN interface and some of those sorts of, you know, like it, it's not an enterprise product. So you're trying to, you know, force this enterprise type of solution on top of a non-enterprise ready product. And then, you know, is that going to be around in five years, 10 years, or, or even three <laughs> years? You know, if you, you go all in, you, you get this all set up three years later. Yeah, we, we're changing directions. I don't think we're going to do this anymore. And now what do you do? You know? Yeah, that, that was kind of one of my, uh, concerns too, just knowing ubiquity. And then you also run into the, uh, so I, I don't do anything with access control or, uh, you know, commercially with cameras because Texas has some weird security licensing and I don't, I just don't want to deal with it. I don't want the liability that it implies. And I, I, I don't want to deal with it. Yeah, there's a lot to that in certain certain areas. I mean, I, I think Minnesota, we're, we're pretty lax. So I think they call it a one-party state. So um, I, I think businesses are required to have a sticker or something you know, on their front door or somewhere. I, actually, I don't think it even technically has to be visible according to the law <laughs> or the way that the wording is. So you can put it you know, on the backside of the, the business so like nobody would ever see it, but you've got a sticker saying that there's security cameras. And <laughs> so you've got everything from that to... I know some states have no laws whatsoever. You can do whatever you want. And then you got places like Texas where it's, you know, super regulated and, you know, how does ubiquity play into that space and kind of enabling, you know, Joe Smith to go, you know, buy this stuff off the shelf and start putting things up. And, you know, I guess then you get into the dilemma of, do they have a responsibility in that or not? You know, probably not, you know, you should know your own, you know, your own laws and regulations, but, yeah, it's uh, that, that's kind of a tough one. From from what I've seen with even their access control, though, it's it's really um, meant to be indoors. It, it's not like outdoor ready, so it's not like you're going to put it on exterior doors. It'd be more like you're in a 
uh, you know, office village or, or something of, of that nature. And, you know, you, you get to secure your inside office inside this other, you know, complex kind of thing. So there, there's some yeah, pretty, if, if you're like access, an office space. Yeah. From an access control perspective to me, it's, it's pretty limited still and not really something that I would ever or look at it at this point. Yeah, for sure. This <clears throat> brings up the question for me, um, which usually pops into my head when I'm thinking about ubiquity, it's software versus hardware. It's like how more, how much more likely are you to trust their software stuff? Cause to me, this is a software play. I mean, I know it ties in with hardware stuff, but how much, uh, more trust do you have in software versus hardware? So like for me personally, I think I would be, uh, more reticent to do kind of a software play on their part because I have seen spotty support and then them sunset stuff out of nowhere. Whereas hardware, you know, usually the hardware, even if they sunset it, it's going to keep working for a little while, you know, it gives me an opportunity to transition off or whatever. But like, if this is a cloud solution and they decide to kill it, well, I mean, it's gone. There's nothing you could do about that. So that's sort of my thought on it. I was just curious what you guys, uh, what your perception of it is. I think we saw that with the, uh, was it the UNVR or the or Unify video but before the Unify Protect stuff came out? They just kind of were like, yeah, you can't even download the app anymore. The app's not, you know, gone out of the Google Play Store and, and Apple. Uh, I don't have an iPhone, whatever the uh, iTunes store, whatever it is. Um, you know, it's just gone. You know, our, our you know remote connectivity is, is shut down and, you know, you, you can't get it anymore. And like, that was a great, thing for a lot of people. Hey, I've got this old desktop laying around. I've got some hard drives. I can throw them in there and, you know, run, run an NVR and now, nope, you have to buy our hardware and there's, you know, you can only have so many drives and, you know, it's a little more expensive and well, right now you can't even get it due to all the equipment shortages, but yeah, just kind of like it, it's getting more and more uh, to me, locking people into their hardware, you know, their, their software doesn't work with any third-party system. So yeah, you can go, you know, okay, I say I trust the software and they're going to keep it going for 10 years. You know, what does the support look like? You know, what's the structure for that? Can I get true, you know, even eight by five or whatever support? So when I, I can call with an issue and then on top of that, uh, you know, I've got to buy all this proprietary hardware that you know, in order to use these functions. So I think if they were to make it a little more open, that was one of the draws uh, originally for me to Ubiquity was, hey, it's open. You can run all, all kinds of stuff. You can sell custom mm -hmm. firmware. You can do, you know, all these different things. And now they're they're kind of moving towards the, the Apple model of, well, you need our stuff and all these, you know, some features work with third-party stuff. Like, you know, you can set up a Unify wireless network with, you know, a MicroTik, you know, wired network, you know, your switches and routers and, but in order to get, you know, deep packet inspection or even um, to do like their new heat mapping uh, thing, you have to have the UDM Pro or, or whatever it is. Um, so it's it's starting to move more towards that proprietary feel, the end-to-end the -end design. And for me personally, I tend to shy away from those because I like to be able to piecemeal things, you know, keep, keep things somewhat standard, you know, kind of like a standard set of like, okay, I kind of do this here, I do this here, but being able to interchange pieces when needed because otherwise you know ubiquity has supply chain issues and microtech doesn't well i can just go buy a microtech slap it in if into a unify network right now and you know get my customer back up and running and not have to you know well sorry i can't get equipment you're just going to be down for 
however long or keep all kinds of inventory to you know to buffer that that's yeah, a lot that's, harder play that's kind of the big issue you're, we're running into right now is you know we're, we're having you know four or five different SKUs on what we would have you know when we're on equipment like switches just because you know if we can't get it from our normal vendor or our, our if we can't get our normal switch we we go to our, our next switch <laughs> you know, just working down the line. And I think that's kind of, especially as you get into things, you know, things not playing nicely together really comes into effect a lot of that. Yeah. Yeah. And I, you know, I, I'm very much in the same camp as Zach. I love best of breed. Like the thing for me that works the best, I like to use in those various scenarios and situations. And I see where Ubiquity's going, trying to make, you know, the, the like, like you said, the Apple, or or often at times I like to refer to it as the Fisher Price, where it's just a few pretty buttons and you can click them and then they just work, right? So it's like the idea that you could just plug all this stuff together and it just works. And I assume that appeals to certain organizations or certain levels of IT. And I'm not trying to knock like the Unify stuff because that's been a pretty successful line for a really long time, and you know mm-hmm. it works pretty well. But yeah, the idea that you know, when you want to get these new features, you have to start buying this other piece of hardware. And then if you want this other feature, you get to buy this other, you know, so it's just that does get taxing um, after a while. A lot but of companies now are trying to I outsource it. IT or not, you know, not keep an internal IT department, right? You know, they, they can have set up a unified system. Just about anyone can do that. So mm-hmm. it does have a place. You know, there, there are organizations that, hey, that's all they need. You know, go for it. Go do it. You know. Just, yeah, that's not the way I want to do it. So, and and there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah, for sure. So this, uh, we'll see if this product matures and goes anywhere or uh, really gets any traction. I mean, obviously you can't tell how many people are using any of these things. You know, it's very, uh, very quiet about that. And I'm curious, like if at any point anybody ever uses any of this stuff, I'd love to hear from you, hear about your uh, experiences, especially if uh, you can get... uh, some demo access to this stuff. You know, maybe I would make some automation demos using this stuff as SSO for things. I don't know. That would be interesting because some of the other providers are a pain in the butt to get uh, demo access to. So uh, if I could at least uh, show it using in some of my automations, that would be actually pretty cool. But I digress. Enough about the ubiquity stuff. Let's see. Uh, we have one here. Zolan. Uh, <laughs> Zolan. I kind of uh, portman toed your name there. Uh, Colin added some uh, stuff about Omada hardware or hardware line. Uh, tell me about that. I hadn't heard of it, but then once you mentioned it, I was like, yeah, I think I actually have. Yeah. So Omada is TP Link or uh, TP Link's. Uh, it's kind of their wi-fi and switching solution i think they they're they have a they may have a gateway but it's a controlled solution um you know kind of everyone's going towards that smb mid-size uh industrial or uh sdn type configuration um and so uh and at the last job we had gotten into amada because it uh we were just starting our first deployments when i left because you know it wasn't ubiquity and uh they the APs can be individually managed or they can be managed by the uh, controller. The controller can be run on various devices. They have hardware solutions. So we were just looking at that. They uh, recently announced some uh, 
uh, uh, yeah. Wi-Fi six stuff in addition to, uh, I think they added, I, I, I've been running Omada for about six months at home, but they added a, uh, I think they're calling it PPSK, which, uh, I'm pretty sure Cambium refers to it as EPSK and, um, I don't remember what Ruckus refers to it as, but Chad could probably pipe in with that at some point. Um, but it's uh, essentially uh, individual uh, PSKs with with one SSID, and you can VLAN steer and uh, do uh, your regular segregation with uh, with that based on what password is put in instead of trying to create multiple SSIDs. What's the kind of advantage of that, I guess, because I've never used it uh, over something like Radius where you can do, you know, VLAN over Radius. You just give somebody a login, dumps them on the VLAN. Is it just kind of the simplicity? You don't have to have everything set up? Yeah, simplicity. You don't have to have uh, Radius set up. And, you know, we we looked at Radius, for example, and one of the problems we always had with it was uh, you can... trying to do IOT devices is a bit of a pain when they don't have a UI. So, you know, getting, especially in a customer network saying, oh yeah, as a customer, you need to go, we need the Mac address off of them trying to talk them through that on the phone or set up a uh, splash page for them to to add this in. It's a bit of a pain. So that was kind of one of the, oh yeah, this, you know, especially in an MDU environment, this unit, we have one common SSID, but this unit, you're using this password, this unit, you're using this password, and so on and so on. Uh, that makes sense. Yeah, I could see that being highly effective in um, an MDU environment as well. I remember, yeah, Chad was talking about how they were doing that with, was it a Aruba kit? Uh, Ruckus, I believe. Ruckus, okay. Yeah, he was doing that pretty effectively, he said, and price effective as well, kind of in their mm-hmm. environment. Yeah, and the uh, the Omada stuff is actually about the same price as uh, I think they're they're kind of mid range Wi Fi six APs supposed to be about the same cost as uh, uh, the Unify six Lite AP. So so it's about a hundred bucks, and hmm. TP Link doesn't appear to have been having some of the supply issues that. Uh, uh, Ubiquity is having, but and that could also be because it, the system's just really getting into, I think it's uh, prime time on its development and deployment. So, uh, you know, I, I would say it's it's been popping up more and more as I've been searching around Reddit and, hey, have you have you tried this? You know, it, it's looking like it's, it's finally ready to go for uh, small business and, uh, you know, extended home use. Interesting. Yeah. So it looks like it's got cloud-based administration or like you said, uh, a hardware controller that you could put inside. It's hardware controller, or you can actually download the, uh, the, the software control software on premises. Yeah. Hmm. So I actually, on my, uh, on my, I actually did a blog post last week about, uh, uh, running that, uh, getting that, uh, control software installed on uh all my linux so um uh, because i i i think uh i'd seen a video about doing it at with uh ubuntu and i was like and eh, there there are reasons i don't like to use ubuntu and 
production network. So I figured, well, let's see if we can get it on a, uh, a rail da- downstream and go from there. So I know TP-Link also has, is it Jetstream switches? Is that what they call them? Jetstream? Yes. Well, <laughs> yeah. So uh, Does Jetstream, it control that stuff as well? Yes. Yes. Jetstream are the Omada controlled switches, I believe. Okay. And then they also, let me look. Yeah, you scroll down. They have a SafeStream gateway. So that's their gateway product as well. So I, I assume it will control kind of soup to nuts the whole thing then, huh? Yeah, that, that's my assumption. But you can run it independently and it doesn't care if it's just being used for APs. So that's baller. <laughs> you make changes like both in the GUI and, and CLI because I know like Unify systems, that was a big issue. Like if you made changes in the controller, you had to go edit this JSON file and re-upload it. Otherwise it would reprovision and, you know, wipe out all your changes. I haven't tried to mess with anything on the uh, uh, CLI version. It's uh, It ships as essentially a uh, executable bash script when you install it on Linux. So uh, I haven't actually looked to see where the configuration files are stored. I do know that uh, the, uh, the the backup files are, remind me of uh, like a, uh, a switch's back, backup files, except it's not plain text. It's, uh, I tried opening it in a text editor and it, it's a bunch of gobbly gook there. So, uh, but yeah, you can, so all that information is somewhere. It's just not in plain text. And I don't know if they have any uh, command line commands that you can use to set parameters. I've only messed with the GUI and it's, it's a pretty straightforward GUI. They have different uh, templates available for configuration, like uh, home business, uh, hotel, um, I think they, they had one for convention center and some other things. So it, it, it might be a little interesting. I'm taking a look at their documentation. The controller has a well-documented API. Okay. Well, I, that's, so, uh, yeah. So you kind of don't need CLI anymore where you can just yeah. pop the API from your automation or your whatever systems. Well, Greg, it sounds like, uh, some, some guy I know who deals with, uh, Ansible a lot and works for the company that manufactures Ansible has a side project. <laughs> this would be pretty cool. Um, I, and I, I, also, I can ship you a little Minix with the, uh, with the well, controller software on it. I know. So, you know, I have a pretty good relationship with Steve Disher over at ISP supplies as well. Right. Like I actually, mm-hmm. my first job, uh, no, it wasn't my first job. My second job here in town in college station, he's actually the guy that hired me was my boss for a little while. So, uh, he is also a TP link, like master distributor. So I wonder if he could hook me up with some demo kit so that I could do some uh, API testing. That would be pretty cool. Yeah, I, I, who, who isn't friends with Steve, it seems. <laughs> I mean, well, I, I have to haggle him every time I see him because, you know, College Station, Texas A&M, me being a Texas Tech alum. <laughs> that's pretty cool. So you, you uh, the kit you're running inside, pretty reliable? You like it pretty well? Yeah, I've uh, so it replaced the Wi-Fi function on the uh, RBA forty eleven for me, and uh, I'm just running. I think it's the uh, EAP two two five. I've got two APs, but one's covering the entire house, and it's in the far end of the house, and it's covering the entire house. Um, 
and it's uh it's been pretty good i think i popped out one of the other eaps i have just to test it i, I don't have well my other problem is all my networking equipment is on one side of the house my my desktop here on the far side of the house actually is using power line so i don't get the uh throughput and with us moving it's just been you know we've been talking about moving for six months i'm like i'm not i'm not wiring i'm not i'm not going in the attic and of course every time it's like oh i really need to go in the attic it's already triple digits in texas and it's like yeah no no i'm i can wait till winter yeah not worth it (laughs) (laughs) batch management devices still work even when not connected to the cloud so i guess this is their unify killer that's what they're that's what they're going for here. Yeah, I, I know they were uh, pushing pretty hard for uh, like uh, the uh, what's the word I'm thinking uh, for the MDU environments, and I don't know if I don't remember if Unify is allowing for this, but you can actually go in and assign individual. Uh, unique SSIDs to individual APs through the controller. So you can still have everything centrally managed, but you can assign the individual unique APs, which, you know, I think we had that MDU group chat about a year ago now, almost. And that was kind of the consensus. You're, You're either using something really smart with common SSID and, you know, some form of VLAN steering inside of that, either using AAA or, uh, you know, the dynamic PSK thing, or you're using unique SSIDs. Yeah. And that's the camp I, I land in on for my MDUs, just unique SSIDs per with their own little password so that they are little islands unto themselves. And then I just yeah. use automation for mass configuration. But yeah, I see. And, and the big problem I had with that was, you know, at the last job we were at, we operated specifically on the Gulf Coast. So we had a lot of instances where over time the uh, just the humidity will corrode your uh, contacts on your on your cabling, and so you just have APs randomly go rogue, or uh, you know they become isolated APs. They they've got power, but because the power pins are still working, but they don't have data, or they're all, no longer negotiating, and so it's just it, it led to a bunch of problems. Like it would be a lot easier if we just had a system that said, hey. I can't reach my uh, controller anymore. I need to turn off my radios. And then since everything's using common SSID, let's let's just migrate everyone to a different uh, AP until we can get the problem resolved. And, you know, we know we have a problem, but the customer doesn't necessarily know we have a problem. Right, right. Yeah, that's um, that was one of the things I was concerned about. Like in my MDU, it's one big building, everything in there. And I was thinking, you know, it would be nice to have kind of failover if a client had problems, but... Honestly, I've lost, I think, one radio the entire I was, I was going to say, you're in years out in San Marcos, isn't it? Yeah, 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 yeah. So it's yeah, climate control. I, I, but, I grew you know, up 15 miles from there, and, you know, stuff doesn't rust like it does down on the Gulf Coast. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I mean, it's just it's just sitting in a kid's apartment, you know, like yeah. in the air conditioning year-round. So it's, you know, it's it's pretty light load on these things, so they should... The, I mean, the, the switches in the closets are more likely to break than the, uh, the access point sitting in there. So, yeah. Now, yeah. now, now the big question is, is when, when you do get, uh, uh, the Wi-Fi wave two package to go down to those, uh, AC twos, will you, uh, will you 
upgrade them to seven so you can have that function, or you keep it. Keep it on six. Uh, right, huh? right now, I'm going to keep it on six. At some point, I'll pick a couple of canaries, and I'll probably upgrade those. Uh, but well, I, I will it's say, gonna depending be on which version of Ansible you're using, uh, I think 2.9. Is 2.9 still the latest on uh, the Red Hat release? Uh, or no. Uh, like if you're using AAP, it is 2.11 is the newest supported one. I don't. I don't. I think I'm still running 2.9, and it does not. Uh, Microtik made some changes in the uh, APIs for uh, version seven. So, and I I haven't tested anything newer to see if they've been resolved. So you can't do like uh, gathering facts on version seven if you're running an older version right now of Ansible. Well, it could be. So they updated, they could have updated the router OS uh, collection and you have to have a newer version of Ansible to support that. Um, honestly, I still have that reminder from you saying, Hey, take a look at this. That reminder is still sitting in there. I haven't, I haven't jumped in and, and tested it yet. I need to, I've just been going flat out. Yeah. Um, I mean, you, you got, you got more pressing work things going on. And, well, no, I need, I, to, I need to test it. Like but, you asked I, me, I, I need bet, to test it. I bet, uh, you know, Microtik integration on Ansible is probably lower on your uh, your customer needs at the moment. Well, I've not run any version 7 stuff on my network, so <laughs> and my <laughs> Ansible is still cracking away just fine on the kit I have out there in the environment. Um, and what, what Colin's referring to is like gather facts. It's where you can like with your automation connect to a device and pull a bunch of uh, just standard information. You know, so you can like see like what firmware version it's running or, you know, uh, sometimes you could do like show me the LLDP neighbors, you know, or, you know, just like a lot of subset of information. Some kit will show you like interface configurations or IP addresses and stuff like that. Right. Already variableized, ready for your use in your automations and stuff like that. So that sucks that it's uh, not quite working right in version seven just yet but then it also makes me wonder well no i mean version seven most of the core functionality should be pretty stable to where it's not like those pieces would be changing too fast right so yeah the the only uh the only gotcha with version seven is some of the com you know with the new routing engines and things have changed and of course so you might have to adjust um your you know how your playbooks address routing a version seven device versus a routing, you know, a version six device. But other than that, I think it looks like uh, version seven has gone to more of a uh, uh, Linux type uh, directory format where you use slash where natively it wants you to use slashes, but it's still to go from, you know, menu, sub menu and down, but it still supports the uh, the space that Microtech had previously used in version six. So uh, that that shouldn't be an issue just yet. In fact, I've I've ran Ansible uh, the the command straight into version seven routers. It's just that gather facts for doing things item potently for me is uh, been uh, I was using that to say, oh yeah, we need to upgrade this version on. Uh, you know, there's a new version that we need to download and upgrade on 7,000 devices. Of course, those were all version six devices. So I didn't, that wasn't a real problem. It was a, this could be a headache with I upgrade them problem. Yeah, for sure. 
<clears throat> and like to gather facts, there's usually ways around that, but you have to start doing parsing, right? You have to like do like a, I guess in the Microtech world, you have to like throw a print command at it and then parse that so that you could kind of variableize it or whatever. So it just kind of is a pain in the butt when it doesn't like return JSON. It like, I mean, that's the dream, right? You throw something at it, it returns like JSON or YAML formatted information. That way it's already like variableized for you and you can just use it. Otherwise you have to kind of like parse it in some form or fashion or do some matching in there. Sometimes you could just cheat and then like search the string. Just like, look at this as if it's all string. See if this thing is in there or not. Yeah, um, this this kind of brings, the case. brings us into that final point I put in, which what are we automating these days? And so, you know, one of my other problems is with our uh, Bluetooth readers I've been doing now is uh, they're, they're all running uh, a version of Linux that doesn't support a version of Python that Ansible supports. So I'm running into the whole, oh yeah, if I want to do mass automation on these things, uh, I'm, I'm just having to fire off raw commands. Raw it's commands. kind of a, which reminds me of some fixes that were there for, uh, yeah, some Air Max products, but, uh, I'm still at the point of, well, yeah, then I have to think completely, uh, change how I deploy, uh, these, these configuration files now, because it's, you know, I don't want it to overwrite something that, you know, I basically have to send the entire configuration file over to the device. At that point, you're basically writing somewhat intelligent bash scripts. So is it worth the, <laughs> you know, is it worth the extra headache of figuring out all the, you know, Ansible pieces just to throw raw commands at it? Yeah. Well, if, if I can get, uh, my, my hope is uh, that we'll get a, um, that I can get the product manufacturer to, uh, say, oh yeah, we can get a, a newer version of Ansible compiled on there, no problem for you. Just tell us what, mo or not Ansible, uh, Python on there, no problem. But, you know, I'm, I'm stuck with a, uh, you know, I've got less than 50 megabytes of, uh, of flash. So, you know, Python can be kind of, uh, depending on what you're loading in, Python can need a bit more than that sometimes. Hmm. You know, on the, the newer versions of Ansible, you know, kind of when they transitioned off on nine and then went up, now they have like the execution environment concept, you know, where you could, you're basically running containers is what you're doing. So it makes me wonder if you could just create an execution environment, you know, which is just a container that has like a really old version of Python and, and an older version of Ansible in there. Uh, maybe you could uh, fake the funk that way and get it to be able to still connect. I mean, obviously you won't have, the newest modules or maybe the newest features or bells and whistles. But if you're just doing, you know, basic Straight like config Linux. file. Yeah. If you're doing like config file manipulation on that thing where you're just like taking a, a template file and you're saying, Hey, make sure that this configuration, you know, variable replace on this one and then stick it over there. Then you'd probably be pretty good using an older version of Ansible. Yeah. Essentially using the built-in uh, modules like line and file and uh, file and yeah. Cause that, that stuff's been boilerplate forever. So, Oh yeah. Yeah. I've been, I've been getting pretty heavy into those with, uh, uh you know, one of our, our, soft, our software developer gave me a bash script to install our, uh, one of our, uh, you know, it's just a massive bash script that installs MySQL and not, not MySQL, MSQL and all of the dependencies and everything. I rewrote that to Ansible and, you know, they had it set to support only Ubuntu and I rewrote it to support uh, rel derivatives and Ubuntu. And so it, it, it's, 
you know, so and using a lot of those tools and I, you know, of course, it's just a lot of sitting there. And when you're when you're trying to learn these for the first time, it's yeah, trial and error, what works. Yeah, for sure. I it's because I've talked to some people that are um they're trying to learn like the product, like, you know, like installing, like I'm trying to learn how to install MS SQL on Ubuntu while automating it at the exact same time. That's usually like, man, you're you're asking for trouble. Uh learn to install it, make a bunch of notes, and then come back and automate. <laughs> yeah, and that's basically what had to happen because uh MS SQL has a bunch of uh ULAs and involved and you know select which product you want to actually use whether it's the licensed product or the uh the what is it sqlite product or sql express product and uh the the uh uis are different uh uh because in uh, ubuntu it, it packs it pops up the uh that, that command line management GUI that Ubuntu likes to use and Debian likes to use, I suppose. And then in uh, the RHEL version, it's just straight, it's just a straight command prompt and, you know, you can key it as a prompt in Ansible, but uh, it's a little bit more of a, uh, you know, you basically have to, have to uh, force the uh, package to install without running that, uh, that UI, that, in Ubuntu, so you get the command prompt, so you can not having to deal with trying to figure out the GUI is. Oh yeah, this is a GUI option. We can't uh, can't parse it like we can a uh, a command line prompt. Hmm. There's always uh, where there's a will, there's a way. You can always figure it out, but it's not always uh, straightforward, right? Yeah, yeah, I got it figured out. It took took me in the better part of a week, but I got it figured out. <laughs> I referenced like. Uh, like there'll be something that pops up is like, oh, I know I automated that, uh, something very similar to that. Let me go and do, like, Oh yeah, it was this one. Okay. Let me copy oh, yeah. and paste I, that. And just I make am some doing that all the time. Cause you know, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm putting all of my stuff up in a, on GitHub and private directories, but you're in a private GitHub and I'm just, you know, I go back constantly that I just keep everything Ansible related just stays open in my Atom project window. And so I, I just go, oh yeah, let's. I, I think I did that here. Let's look at at that uh, real quick and go from there. <laughs> that all the time. For sure. My problem is like remembering what playbook I used that code in. So it's like okay, looking through <laughs> twenty, thirty different you know playbooks. Like I, I know I used this somewhere, but I don't remember where I used it. Yeah, me too. Especially like when I do some like regex thing or. Uh, I do some like specific sort of matching thing. It's like, I can never remember how to do that stuff. I always have to look it back up. So it's nice when I've already done it once. <laughs> hmm. Speaking of like, uh, automations, uh, I'm going to a, a hackathon this week, which is why I'm like having to do all this stuff early. And it's fun to see all of their, like the idea of a hackathon is we do like the first day or possibly two, depending on how long these things are. Uh, it's all education, right? Like getting them up to speed on like the new stuff and just kind of getting everybody at a base level. And then we pick all these use cases that they want to work on. And so uh, usually we'll have like a lot of people will break them up into teams and we'll say, okay, you're going to do this use case. You're going to do that one, that one, and that one. And then we actually like create stuff that they can use in production. So it's pretty, it's pretty fun, but it's all surrounding automation. So it's fun when we get like, 
uh, some of the use cases ahead of time. And I'm like trying to divine what they like. They'll, they'll give a little blurb. And it's like, I'm trying to figure out what are you, what are you saying here? You know, like, what are you even talking about? And it's always fun. Cause I'm just like constantly Googling, like, I have no idea what this product is. I've never heard of it. And so then, you know, you're just like trying to research as fast as you, cause I mean, I guess you could go in completely blind, but I at least want to be a little bit warmed up on the, some of the questions they might ask. So it's like across the board, man, like you never know what you're going to see. Like one of them is, um, Microsoft SCCM. It's like their, uh, something systems configuration, configuration manager, system center, configuration, system manager. center, configuration manager. Yeah. And how that differs from, uh, SCOM, you know, operations system. manager. Yeah. <laughs> My man, he knows what's going on here. I, yeah. I used to build system center stuff in a previous life. So I'm, I'm well, well versed in that. Well, cool. Well, I found my guy. So they were talking about maybe um, uh, setting up uh, SCCM DPs, like uh, with those distribution points or something. Yep. Uh, like doing those in an automated fashion. So it goes from that and then swings to like some ServiceNow stuff. Like uh, how do we uh, auto assign tickets in there? And then it swings over to, hey, networking. We want to like compare configurations and stuff. So it's like, man these things are, they're crazy. Cause they just run the gamut. You never know what you're going to run into. And some of this stuff is light. Like, uh, also one of them is like firepower. Um, they're like, uh, we don't have the API on our firepower. So how do we, uh, connect in and back those things up? It's like, I don't know. I don't have one available to test with. So I guess we'll, we'll do it live. <laughs> Forget that stuff. But I, I love kind of the, the challenge of it, the idea of it, the variety, cause you just never know what's going to come at you. And, uh, you get to try and work through all that stuff, but it gives them opportunity, you know, to uh, start working their groups and then I'll kind of bounce around and sort of help where I can and then do a little research and then help. And it's just like, you're like constantly moving. Um, but it, you get there and you hit the ground running and you go all day long and then you rinse and repeat the next day. It's just, it's like nonstop uh, madness the whole time. So it's fun. It's exhausting, but it's, it's fun to do these sort of things, but I really like, uh, the variety of uh, stuff like so when you, you know you guys are talking about oh i'm automating this or that over there like that stuff truly is like fascinating to me because i love the thought experiment of it you know can we hack this thing together and the answer was always yeah the answer well the answerable the answer is always yes uh you know you can make it happen it's just how much uh work's going to be involved and you know what's so funny is, is too when you're working in a collaborative group somebody will have a much clever way of doing something than I would have been able to come up with. So I like that too. It's always fun. Hmm. Yeah. The, uh, you know, I, I'm very much a fan of the, uh, you get stuck and sometimes you just need a, a second, uh, second opinion or somebody else's eyes to give you an idea. Uh, happened to a, a friend of mine a couple months ago, he was playing with an old Jeep and he, he's like, you know, I, I can't, I can't get, get it to fire i was like well okay let's put some gas in the carburetor and just make sure it you have spark it starts you know until it runs out of gas and i said okay so that means we're not getting fuel so what it basically had to come down to was the fuel line between the gas tank and fuel pump was completely vapor locked so i said well we just need to prime the fuel line and use gravity to do that and just let it flow and once we got that done fired right up and ran so you know sometimes it just takes that that second set of eyes yeah yeah 
Or somebody say, hey, have you tried that? And I will say, no, of course not, because that's obvious and easy. Why would I have tried that? Yeah. (laughs) Speaking of uh, learning new things, uh, I don't know if either of you guys have have played with uh, Napalm before. Um, It's uh, like a framework that you can use to deploy configurations to devices, pretty much like your enterprise stuff, your Cisco, your Juniper. Um, So it doesn't quite play well in with, or doesn't support MicroTik really at this point, but uh, something I had to learn just recently. And to me, it looks like a really good way for people to kind of get into, you can actually use Napalm directly in, in Python, you know, write a Python script, use Napalm. And what it does, you, you build your configurations out. It drops that text file actually on the device. So, you know, if it's a Cisco and your, your boot flash or whatever as a candidate configuration, and then you can choose to actually apply that or if you want to run checks before you do it or you know those sorts of things um, they also have a uh, like a testing framework on top of that so after you apply the configuration you can run these these test uh, uh, scenarios i guess you know test for hey is bgp up do i have peers do i have routes do i have you know specific ip addresses on my interfaces um, so you can either do that, you know, straight in Python, or you can actually deploy that same thing through Ansible, which I found to be a little bit easier. Uh, but then it's just a Jinja template of, you know, what you want your configuration to look like. And a lot of engineers, I think that's going to be a little more of an easy transition for, mm-hmm. hey, you can actually look at what the config looks like versus this YAML, you know, block of YAML with all these different parameters that may or may not line up to you know, the actual like configuration parameters that you type on the CLI, you're, you're literally building a text file of what your configuration is going to look like and then replacing, you know, your variables with the variable names. So pretty, pretty neat little tool that I wasn't aware of before. I had seen it um, as it's kind of baked in with NetBox. So if, if you're managing like Cisco or Juniper devices with NetBox, you can actually plug in some credentials and it'll go and pull the configuration files off of the devices into NetBox. And then you can view them right in your NetBox GUI. So that was the only thing I had seen it used for uh, in the past. But then when I actually started looking at it, it was like, hey, no, you can actually just deploy configs and make configuration changes. And it's a lot more like if you write a play, you know, an Ansible playbook to deploy your, you know, your configuration with Napalm, it's like two tasks. Basically, like a template task is just napalm. You give it the, you know, the Jinja, Jinja file that you're going to use. And then, you know, obviously you have your, your variable structure. So it's a little easier transition than jumping like deep into the whole, you know, all the different Ansible modules and, and all that kind of stuff. So kind of a neat little tool I, I came across and may or may not fit into, you know, kind of that WISP area because not everybody's using Cisco and, and Juniper and Arista and, and whatnot, but yeah, a little more on the enterprise side. Yeah, that's cool. And that, I mean, I uh, before I started working with Ansible, that was one of the. I mean, people would say, you know, either you kind of do Napalm or you, you know, you go the Ansible route. Um, like it sounds like they've gotten a lot more mature with the product, like continuing on. Mm-hmm. Um, Ansible does everything; like it'll touch anything. Whereas Napalm's really like networking focused, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, just just your it's major. a networking podcast, so. Right. <laughs> yeah. It it's just, sense. you know, if you're like kind of more of that enterprise side of things, or even if, if you are a WISP and you run, you know, Cisco or, you know, Juniper gear, to me, it's a little bit of a, like more of a baby step to get into Ansible where you can build those files. You don't have to learn all the, as much, or as much of the Ansible, like syntax and, and YAML and everything It's you can, 
have like your couple of tasks that deploy your templates and then you're just building templates and it drops them on the device, applies it and, and that kind of thing. So it's, it's a little bit of a di different way of looking at it. And mm -hmm. especially if you're running like true infrastructure as code, you know, it'll just like re dump the entire config and, you know, reload the entire config is kind of the idea there. So you're not necessarily like merging things together because you can run into some oddities if you're like spacing and your Jinja template isn't right. It's, you know, it doesn't um, like you've got two spaces instead of one space. So then it thinks it's different. So then it reapplies that config. So it's the item potency can be a little bit uh, finicky to work with. But if you're, you know, say you have all your configurations stored in a GitHub repository, you just Git repository and you're changing, you know, just a couple lines of code. The idea is you drop that whole new config on there, reload the entire config, and you, you don't you don't have merging going on or anything. It's just this is what I want my configuration to be. End of story, and it then handles that for you. So it's so when it puts kinda, that config on there, like it does it in the startup config. Is that where it's putting it? Uh, it, it loads it in as a it, files just called like candidate config text. And then there's a separate command to actually like apply the config and then it's uh, spinning it into the running config and then writing to the startup config or, or there, there's some, you can play with what order it does those things in or what, like which pieces you want it to do. So you could just write it to the startup config and then on the next reload, it would apply or actually just dump it right into the running config. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, because I was curious about that because that's that could be kind of a sticky point with item potency. They would have to have like no commands in there as well, right? If you were yeah. just going to apply it to the running, so it'd have to like remove anything that you didn't want there necessarily. But if you did it in the startup, then you just reboot it and then it comes up with, you know, whatever happened to be in there. That would be easy, but you're right. going to incur some, some downtime associated with that. Um, speaking of item potency, I like where Ansible has been going with a lot of their networking modules. Um, so if you take a look at some of the newer stuff, it's got, uh, what do we call them? Uh, modules that are like resource specific, I think. So it'll be like for like VLANs or ACLs, like very specific as opposed to like config. So config would be like put a, a CLI command in here, whereas like VLANs is specific to like manipulating VLANs or ACL specific to that. And those specific ones have gotten really good at um, uh, their item potency. Uh, because they have introduced pretty much on all of them a parsed option. So you could take a full config, whether it's got ACLs, like say for example, ACLs. It's got ACLs, but it's also got like interface and IP information. You could say, hey, take this config file, parse it for access lists. So it'll parse all of those and it'll, it'll put them, and you just say that as like a variable in memory. And it'll put all that stuff in the uh, YAML format it needs it. And then you could say, okay, all this stuff you parsed, now item potently stick that on the device so it'll go ahead and take a look at that and then you know do the add removes or just the additions kind of however you want it to do it it'll push it all in there so you could still store your configs like in a cli format like you're accustomed to and uh, you don't have to like variableize all that stuff and it'll just parse it and then use that to shove it in. i've been doing that really successfully um some stuff it's easy to keep it in a data model right like you just create a variable and like for VLANs, it's really easy to do that, or like the VLAN database. Um, if you do that, it makes it vendor agnostic, right? I can take that data model and I can put it on Juniper or an Arista or a Cisco or XYZ. 
um, wherein if I have it like in the CLI form, it's it's you know it's less movable between devices, but it makes it so easy because like ACLs, like when you variableize that stuff, like each ACL rule ends up being like five lines long, and blah 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 blah. Because it's so much stuff, but if you just keep it in the regular CLI and you let it parse it at runtime and then throw it in there, it's like so stupid simple nowadays. So I think it's pretty it's pretty cool to be able to kind of item potently manipulate that stuff. And also you can be very specific. So you can create uh, automations that just do VLAN stuff, ones that just do ACL stuff or, you know, XYZ stuff. And then you can say, oh, instead of doing the entire config, just check for this stuff or just check for that stuff. Not to say it'll hurt it because if you write it in idempotent, idempotent means if it's already in that desired state, it stays there, doesn't change anything. If it does need to make an adjustment, it will. Right, so it's kind of intelligent on that. You can rerun the script over and over and it doesn't break anything. That's also pretty magical when it comes to network stuff. Um, so long as you're keeping that stuff in mind, you're making sure things are item potent. It's pretty powerful how you can do those things. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I can beat the uh, automation drum all day long. Because <laughs> I literally, that's what they pay me to do. So I, I will absolutely sit here and talk your ears off. But... Our list is exhausted. I'm coming up on time. I'm curious if you guys have any uh, specific new or interesting things. I know we were talking about a lot of what you're doing, uh, Colin, but uh, you know, any last pieces of information you guys wanted to check out before we stick a fork in it? No. Yeah, no, no um, that's basically as far as work goes, uh, that's all I can, I'm at liberty to discuss at the moment. Yeah, um, I basically can't talk about things until they've been publicly announced. Oh. Um, so, uh, and then uh, the stuff I'm doing at home is, you know, I, I've, I've been doing some one-off things like uh, I have three different Plex servers. So I wrote a playbook to go out and update those when <laughs> time comes. And then, you know, just little things around the house. So other than that, no, nothing, uh, nothing really uh, major is going on for me. Cool. I've, uh, yeah, man, I've been playing a lot of, uh, Dungeons and Dragons and, uh, Deadlands, which is like, uh, Dungeons and Dragons, but in the old West or the weird West as they call it. So, uh, I've been doing that a lot in my personal life. So I'm staying busy myself. All right. Well, let's do the outros. Uh, we'll do them in reverse order. So, uh, Zach Biles, if you wanted people to interact with you on the internet, how would you have them do it? Uh, yeah, best way is uh, Little Brothers Slack. Um, I do have a blog that I occasionally write to, uh, zachbiles.net. Um, got a GitHub out there. Um, sure, we can uh, get a link there for that. And yeah, those would be the kind of the places I am. All right. How about uh, Mr. Zappalak? Yeah, uh, Slack's a pretty good starting point. Uh, I have a blog at uh, wirelesscomtech.net. Is it Comtech.com or Comtech.net? It's one or the other. Um, but uh, I, some, I occasionally, I, I try and get a post in every six weeks or so. <laughs> but uh, sometimes I get more, sometimes I get fewer. So that, that's kind of best places to get a hold of me right now. Um, so, all right, that'll do. That'll do, pig. Uh, if you want to find me, I'm Greg at Gregshole.com. You can also go to Gregshole.com and see my blog posts. I've got. The newest one is doing uh, configuration as code for the Ansible Automation platform. So pop in there if you're 
Uh, as Jimmy one time said, if you're bored or suicidal, go in there and take a look. Um, if you guys have any questions or comments, fire them at me. Uh, always happy to uh, to hear from you folks or if there's any products he likes to poke around in. We haven't we haven't done our Terragraph one. We need to get the uh, the Terragraph kids in here and, and get them to talk now that I'm thinking about it because they've had enough run time. They're done. <laughs> they've, they've, they've run the gambit, both of them. All right. Uh, thank you, uh, Colin. Thank you, Zach. And uh, thank you, listeners. We'll see you guys next time. I will hit stop on all the recordings.